AdYak. You're listening to AdYak. AdYak is the official podcast of the AAF Greater Lehigh Valley Ad Club. Our mission is to inspire creativity and enhance the professional development of the advertising and marketing communities where we live and work. I'm your host, Bill Childs, and I'll talk with artists, designers, writers, directors, photographers, along with those who work in a creative capacity. Our aim here is to serve as a creative resource to help you stay informed, entertained, and above all, inspired. But first, I want to thank ASR Media. We appreciate your support and collaboration. Hey, welcome back to AdYak, Season 3. It's nice to be back because I wanted to amp things up a little with the first episode of Season 3, and I'm happy to say that my first guest hits all the right notes. Crystal Durant is a very talented New York City-based graphic designer, DJ, singer, rock show producer, sound designer for Broadway, podcaster, metalsmith, printmaker, art educator, pop culture demolition specialist, storyteller, photographer, and activist. As her mom used to say, she's a very multifaceted crystal. She earned an associate's degree in specialized technology visual communication photography at the Art Institute of Philadelphia and a BFA in metalsmithing along with her art ed degree certification, K-12 in college, from the University of the Arts. She taught visual art in the New York City Department of Education for over 20 years. For the last six years, she was a featured singer in New York City's longest-running rock and roll tribute show called F-Bomb, and has her own Who tribute band called These Kids Are Alright, and a very popular Prince tribute band called Pills, Thrills, and Daffodils. She has also performed in a Soundgarden tribute with a host of New York City legends. For the last seven years, she's been a professional muse at the Art Students League of New York, where she is one of their featured models. Her face and figure have been sketched, drawn, painted, and sculpted thousands of times. There are even a few portraits of her in their permanent collection. She's currently writing an autobiography about her life as a muse and wants to turn it into a TV show. Trust me, this lady's talent knows no bounds. Crystal and I were classmates in a commercial art class in the early 80s at Lehigh County Vocational Technical School. And even back then, I knew she was destined for bigger things. She's made her life a work of art. I was fortunate enough to be able to get her to sit down with me and talk about her early design career in Los Angeles, where she was in the art department at the world-famous Tower Records on Sunset Boulevard, where she had some crazy experiences with Prince, David Lee Roth, Tom Jones, Michael Jackson, Christopher Lee, and other stars, and what she learned about teaching art to kids in underserved schools in New York City. Crystal also shares an embarrassingly funny story about what happened on my first visit to New York City during high school, where I had a Larry David, George Costanza Seinfeld meltdown inside a restaurant over the price of orange juice. This was a fun conversation to have and one that I know you will find entertaining and inspiring. So here is my ad yak with Crystal Durant. Oh my God. I can't yeah. believe it. Welcome <laughs> to ad yak, my friend. Thank you very much for inviting me. This is very special in a myriad of ways. Yeah. Surreal, right? Surreal. Very surreal. Very surreal. <laughs> so I want to start kind of like where we met. So we yeah. met at Lehigh County Votech. Um, I know we were in commercial art together, but did we did we go through the 10th grade Mo program together? I don't rem I can't recall that. What was what program was that, that? was like uh, with Bruce Silvernell and like drafting and printmaking a print like it would have been oh, a program yeah. before 11th and 12th. Like we were. Yes, yes, I did. I did. Yeah, but I we, was there. All... We were not in. We were not together in that. We met not the first time. No, we were okay. We were not in the same cohort for that. But I did take all of that. Yeah. OK. Did you have Silvernell? Yes, I did. <laughs> I sure did. He Bruce. Was, uh, I have been trying to find him. I cannot locate him. He disappeared all. off the face of the earth. I started looking too one day and I was just a, a lot of my teachers that I had had starting yeah. with Votech and just like, wow. Yeah. I mean, he kind of put me on the path. I mean, he, I, I always knew I wanted to do something in art, but when I got to Votech and he saw something in me, 
he kind of nudged me along. He was like, what do you, you should do this. Like you, this, you seem to have a knack for this. And, and that was kind of, for me, kind of cool to hear from somebody like him that I respected. So, you know, I knew that I wanted to specialize. I wanted to go into commercial art, you know, for 11th and 12th. And then that's what I, that's what I ended up doing. And then that's when I met you for the first time in, in that yeah. classroom. That crazy ass class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about oh, that a little man. bit. Rhonda Botel, God rest her soul. Hotel um, hell. Hour, uh, yeah. but like, just, I mean, think about this. That's 40 years ago. Okay. Yeah. 40 years. That's way before computers, way before the internet, way before cell phones. Everything. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's as old. And by the way, I still have my toolkit. I, I, I still have it. Really? You know, the kit that you had to buy. But that was like basically oh my a tackle gosh. box. Yes. Jeff Oswald painted my <laughs> yeah. name on it. Oh my it. gosh. Jeff Oswald. Oh, yes. shit. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Still have it. I might, act, I might have, have to actually like insert a photo here showing that, that uh, yeah. the paint has still held up. He, it, he did a beautiful oh, job gosh. on it. Um, I don't know where he is. He was another one that I, I enjoyed having being in the class. Yeah. You know, good he dude. was a good dude. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think I finally got rid of mine. Oh boy. Cause I think I took it with me when I moved to LA. Okay. Yeah, I did. I had it in LA and then <clears throat> because of freelance work I was doing or whatever, it, I think it just completely fell apart. <laughs> I had to bury it somewhere right. in the Hollywood Hills. I think that's what I did. Yeah. Well, I think for, for us, from what I remember is that we just kind of immediately bonded. I just yes. remembered like, like having a, a just, I just enjoyed your company. You know, I, we sat next to each other because of our names, child. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and you're, you're from Parkland. I'm from Deeruff. And, you know, I don't know what it was. We just had this connection. You know, we bonded over Popeye and Klondike bars. Yes. Right. right. I'd come in in the morning oh and I'd God. tell you about the episode of Popeye I saw that morning. Yes. And I would like get really into it. I remember being like very passionate about Popeye. You were super passionate about it because I hate Popeye cartoons. <laughs> That's what we would talk about. And you would do your level best to convince me about how great they were and what I'm missing out on. And I can't believe you're not watching it. And that that loggerheads, that was the beginning because we'd crack each other up. That's what it was. Yeah. Right, great. So, so that's interesting. So in other words, so I was really leaning hard into the Popeye and yeah. not really understanding that you did not like it. So that, that that's it. interesting. That's probably what, yeah. yeah. I tend to do that. I tend to not read the room sometimes. <laughs> and I just like, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, he did this. And then he did that and he did this. And you got to let, yeah, okay. Yeah, all yeah, right. you were all over it and I was not having it. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So we're in that class, right? And we're, we're we, we do the, uh, the sketchbook uh, critiques every Monday morning. Yes. Um, I know Rhonda would walk around half the time with like, like, uh, what was it? Graphite, like uh, somewhere on her face. Smeared all over her face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she was actually a really good watercolor artist. Um, yes. Yeah. I do remember that. I actually got her to show me some of her watercolors and, uh, you know, her private work. She had them in a, one of the flat files in the room. Yeah. Yeah, and it yeah, it was fantastic. She was really, really good to me, especially my perspective now mm -hmm. as an artist and an art educator, the vibe that I'm, I'm guessing where she was coming from was like, I mean, how old could she have been then? Like forties maybe. Sure. Mm -hmm. So as a woman, I don't know if she was married. Was she married? I don't know. Don't, don't remember. Know. Yeah. But as a woman trying to be an artist, even in Little Allentown, Pennsylvania, <clears throat> and having the advantages that she had, I'm going to assume that she probably wasn't selling that well. And it was like, oh, well, I could just, you know, become a teacher and teach art so I can still be in my practice. Mm -hmm. But her heart was definitely not in it. She was not a good okay. educator. Yeah. All right. Okay. She was, she was pushing through to get that check. Okay. Now, Gary Maurer, he was a great educator, a really good art educator, because he piqued our interest. He was funny. Mm -hmm. He was personable. He had a really great bedside manner. But Rhonda, no, not so yeah. much. Yeah. Well, that's what I want to ask you about that. I wonder, did it's did you all did you know from like when you were in, in the class that you were not going to stay in the area? 
Like, was that? Oh, you, yeah. So you knew I, that. So that was a, I that knew was, that. I knew that I was leaving. Hmm. I was ready to run off stage at graduation like my hair was on fire and run straight to either here in New York or Philadelphia. Okay. I, I always knew I was never going to stay there. Never. Okay. Yeah. Right. I always so knew. You, ended, you, went to, you went to art school in Philly, right? Yes. I graduated. Uh, we graduated, uh, what, that uh, June of 83. Yeah. And then I went to the Art Institute of Philadelphia, okay. which was in Center City from 83 to 85. Then I moved here for a minute <clears throat> with a boyfriend and then he went off to Berlin and then I moved to Los Angeles and I was there from 85 to 90. Okay. What were you doing out there? Uh, well, my goal ever since third grade was to design album covers. That's all I ever wanted to do was graphic design and design record covers okay. and jackets and everything. And so I was like, well, where am I going to go do that? It has to be Los Angeles. Because, yeah, labels had offices here in New York City, but <clears throat> not, not like it was in L.A. So I went out there completely cold. Uh, I had an older cousin who I stayed with, my cousin Gene. He was nine years older than I am. And he lived in Koreatown okay. and had a little car, had a little Corvette. And, um, you know, I was 20 years old. What the fuck did I know? Mm -hmm. But I had a resume and I had a portfolio and I knew what I wanted to do. And as a preamble, before I moved out there, I sent letters to every art department, every existing record label, you know, got maybe three responses. Oh, thank you. But we're not hiring now. And then, you know, no responses from others, but it didn't matter. I was going out there and I was going to do graphic design somewhere. God damn it. Okay. <laughs> and right. I wound up at Tower Records doing it. I did. I freelanced for a bunch of record labels, but I could not get a corporate job in the art department at a record label. Really? Yeah, it was misogyny and racism, the usual. You know, mm. it was the 80s. They weren't thinking about being progressive or that women could do this job or right, right. anything because the industry was run by, uh, you know, white guys, whether they're racist or not. That's just how it, yeah. how it is, how it was. So how'd you end up at Tower Records then? So I freelanced at, um, I freelanced at Capital and at A&M and at chrysalis doing local promotion stuff like creating an ad for a trade paper or the newspaper doing uh on-site advertising aka slapping up posters somewhere spray painting stencils on the sidewalk on hollywood okay. boulevard whatever okay. and um <clears throat> so my cousin said why don't you go to tower records because that would be an art department job. You know, it's not like working at a label, but you're going to meet label people and who knows. Mm -hmm. So I went there and filled out a resume. I got called back a couple days later. I had one of the weirdest job interviews ever where in a, <laughs> in within 20 minutes, I met Slash and Apollonia really? and, uh, and got the job. Wow. And so I started on the floor at the classical music department because <clears throat> they had a small classical store across the street. Okay. So I was there for a couple of months and the art department was in the basement of that building. So I got to know the people who worked in the art department. I would bring my portfolio in, you know, try to talk my way in there. And then I worked on the floor at the record shop, the one that everybody knows, West Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> and, um, and so I worked on the floor for a while and then I worked in the video store on the floor and then I finally got into the art department, but that took, you know, less than, it was like three months or something. Okay, so did you, did you get to design album covers? No, I did not. For Tower Records, if people remember, when you walked into a Tower Records store, you would see gigantic like indoor billboards, they yeah. were called. Yeah. So we would get record flats, we worked on foam core with a hot wire machine. Everything was spray painted, not hand painted. Very cool. little was hand painted. And we were in the basement of this building with very little ventilation <laughs> and yeah. spray painting everything. And it was crazy. So I never got to design any record labels, but I did do um, stuff for bands that was like local advertising now. Okay. Now, is this the place where you, I think you might've told me one time where, um, 
Prince came in and you had to close yes. the store and how, just tell me that story. That was where I first met Prince. So that was when I was at the video store and the assistant manager, uh, Mike Dampierre was one of my best friends and Tower was famous for being open 365 days a year from nine in the morning until midnight. But out there, <clears throat> a lot of celebrities who didn't want to be bothered would call ahead and say, I'm coming in at 1 a.m., I'm coming in at 3 a.m., I'm coming in at 5 a.m., whatever. And so Prince's people called and said that he was coming in. I'm at home and my friend Mike calls me up. Oh my God, Prince is coming tomorrow. You have to be there, blah. Okay. So I had to be there at uh, 4.30 in the morning. So of course I'm lying in bed, not sleeping. And then I, I get there and I'm there. it's just me and Mike. And we're waiting and waiting and waiting. He said he was going to get there at 5.36. So we waited and waited and waited. And then at 6.30, and then we're like, oh, this guy's not going to come. Fuck this. Mm -hmm. And we were just getting ready to call the contact person and be like, fuck you. And then a red Corvette pulls up in front of the building. And I'm not making that up. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> Jerome Benton from the time was driving. And they both get out of the car and knock on the door. And we were just like, oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Wow. And he came in and looked through everything. This was when laser discs. Mm. So he bought a lot of Disney laser discs and a lot of foreign films um, and a bunch of records. So I think in total, if I remember correctly, it was around three grand, which was a lot of stuff. Sure. And uh, so when celebrities would do that, they would either bring an assistant who would, you know, take it out or they would say, oh, call this person, pack it up and they'll come get it. So we're at the register. We rung everything up and uh, we rang everything up. And then Mike is like, so how are you? How do you want to pay for this? <clears throat> and Prince looks at Jerome and points and then Jerome takes a business card out of his pocket and just hands it to us and he's like call him <laughs> and it was it was uh the head of warner brothers records <laughs> so it was like what and got to talk to him and he was super nice and super funny mm -hmm. and um he smelled amazing and it was great <laughs> i'd imagine knowing if i feel like i do i know you you would probably be like you, you don't strike me as like 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 an over the overzealous like fangirl. So mm -hmm. you probably were like kind of chill, which they probably yes. appreciate and they probably like. So then they're a little bit more like kind of willing to kind of engage with you because you're not like, you know. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. that was all inside. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stomping on it inside. Right, but right. Uh, but also at the same time, so they're just they're people with money. That's all. Right. And if they were an asshole before they had money, they're an asshole <laughs> with money. You know, if they're nice before, they're nice after. Money does corrupt, but mm -hmm. people who are at their core, you know, if they're great beforehand, they're great after. And I have a lot of celebrity encounters and celebrity friends who are just like that. They're salts of the earth. Yeah. Okay. Well, who's the who's the one that's kind of, you know, your your best encounter? Who's, who's the one that you, you, the most memorable encounter or the one, the nicest one, the one that meets all that criteria that you just stated? Wow. I don't think I can pick just one. I'll say Prince was number one, definitely. Okay. Uh, Tom Jones was number two because <clears throat> I got to spend private time with him outside of the store, which was really cool. And um, Dick Van Dyke. Oh. And John Forsythe. And Christopher Lee. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, he bit me on my neck. <sighs> okay. So hot. <laughs> yeah, Christopher Lee, okay. it was it was fantastic. And he was really, he was really cool. Like, nobody recognized him. I was the only person who recognized him. And I just kind of sidled up, you know, hey, do yeah. you need any help picking out something? And he was... But Super you, cool. He was looking in the classical. He was in the classical section. He was in the classical store. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was talking with him about Schubert and music that I liked. Asked what he liked. Yeah. And then I started asking him questions about making those Hammer films, because I was such a sci-fi horror mm -hmm. dork when I was a kid. I read up on all the stuff like how 
horrible the contact lenses were and right, right. you know the suits and the the atmosphere and all that so i was asking him very specific questions that only somebody who looked this up would know mm -hmm. and he was very impressed by that and was kind of taken aback like how do you know this stuff and i was like well i read books you know also mm. rumored to have been british secret service and i totally believe it oh yeah i completely believe that he was secret service definitely yeah my favorite movie with him is the four musketeers well the three musketeers and the four musketeers with michael york yes those guys the grittier mm -hmm. version from the 70s i mean yeah so it was good. great so good he was really good all right so let me let's switch gears so when when do you become the art teacher when do you get into teaching art okay so i was in la for five years <clears throat> i did not meet my goal and i had a crazy insane encounter which i was like i can't take it here anymore and made me come back okay so i came back east i moved back <clears throat> home with my parents for a couple of months to get my act together and then i went back to philadelphia so i was doing graphic design in a bunch of places and i freelanced at the tower on south street that was there in philly right. and then um a really good friend of mine here in new york city was uh is an actor and got a job he was from philadelphia so he was back in philly at the same time too we both went to the art institute so he was teaching at a summer camp in yes. philly and then he got a job on broadway and he was saying he's listen i can't do this you're an artist i think mm -hmm. you'd be a really good art teacher you know work with these kids blah 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 i'm out of here so i took over his job and it was I don't know, 15 kids from five to 18. And I got really excited because I could pretty this place had money and I could kind of do whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I went right into printmaking because that's my wheelhouse, Andy Warhol and everything. Yep. And um, got all this stuff together. And I was like, oh, this is great. And my mom was like, you need to be an art teacher. You need to go back to school to be an art teacher. And okay. I just thought, what? Because when I was a kid, you know, teachers teach, they don't do. That was like the insulting thing that people would say about educators. Right, sure, sure. And because when we graduated high school, my mom was like, you got to go to Kutztown. You got to bump. And I was like, Kutztown? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> no fucking way. Now. Are you kidding? They oh, now it is. Yeah. yeah. But back then I'm like, I spent 18 years here. I have to get the fuck out of here. And I'm not going to Kutztown from Allentown. Sorry, not doing it. Okay. So she talked me into it. And then I looked at uh, the University of the Arts, which in olden days was the Philadelphia College of Art, PCA. And then they joined with the dance school and became uh, the University of the Arts. And so uh -huh. I was like, okay, I'll go and get my art ed degree. And then I got a BFA in metalsmithing and a minor in printmaking and uh, did all that finished it in a four-year program in like two and a half years and um decided to come back here to new york i didn't well i always knew i was going to come back here i didn't want to stay in philadelphia yeah but did you enjoy teaching i do I, I love teaching i love 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 it okay but it's the system that <laughs> gave me an ulcer <laughs> it's the system that you know the saying here in New York anyway is you you're not a real teacher until you have cried in your classroom by yourself, cried in the bathroom by yourself, cried in front of your students in your room. And once you do all three of those things, then you're a real teacher <laughs> because you you can't you can't function without that kind of release. Yeah. And I also chose to teach underserved schools in underserved areas, i.e. Black and Hispanic and Latino kids in the hood. Okay. And that's an added pile of shit that you have but to- But I know, I do know though that you had success because they're, they're you know, obviously everybody wants the Dead Poets Society uh, experience with their class. Oh yeah. Right? They're gonna yeah. walk out of their class. All the kids are gonna stand on the desk, go captain, my captain. But captain, like, right. you, know, yeah. you gotta you gotta realize not all the salmon make it up the stream. Some of them jump no. right into the bear's mouth, right? But yep. I know that you had I know that you had good experiences because you've shared those yes. on social media and you've talked about like how you know the, the kids that remember you or the kids that that you were you thought maybe um you kind of showed an interest in or said, look, I think you 
you have a talent here. You should pursue this. And yeah. they, they, I mean, you have those stories, right? Where they yes, I do. Stories. I have plenty of those stories. I have, I would have to say <clears throat> overall, more tragic stories yeah. than great. And this is like from when I was teaching K, I, I taught elementary, I taught preschool, elementary, middle and high school, but I stuck with high school the longest because it was easier to be like, sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up <laughs> with high school kids. Cause they're like, nah. but um, the kids who I really related to and got through to, and even if they were giving me a raft of shit in the classroom, 10 years later, I bump into them on the street. Oh my God, Ms. D, I wish I'd listened to you because I know my life. And I was like, <laughs> I told you I was here trying to save your life. Don't be stupid. Just listen mm -hmm. to what I'm saying. And uh, yeah, like, I, but I've got kids who are lawyers, who are doctors, mm, wow. who are captains of industry. One kid who is a total pain in the ass now has his own screen printing company and does the design. And it's just, that's mm -hmm. why you're a teacher. It's not for the money because the money sucks. You teach because you love the art of it and you love kids and you want them to succeed. Well, and you want to share knowledge. Right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, one of the things I think that kind of helped, I, I do believe shaped me because um, I do a lot of presentations uh, to, to colleges and universities on, on creativity. That's kind of like my jam. Like that's, yeah. that's my topic, creativity. I, I, I lean into that. I write about it. I write a column about it. I talk about it. I have a podcast about it. Um, but I remember um, when we were in Votech, no one ever came to our class that, that was from the class. Do you know what I mean? No. I remember one kid or one guy came in one day, him and Mauer were yucking it up in the corner. And I, he left and I went over to Mr. Mauer and I said, Hey, who was that? He's like, Oh, one of my former students. He's an art director in New York city. And I remember, I didn't say this to Mr. Mauer, but I thought to myself, well, how comes he's not coming back telling and us talking. How, he, how he did it. Right. Exactly. Useful information. Not to mention the fact I'd love to know what an art director did because I wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have even thought that that was a, you know, like an option. Oh so, yeah. So Years later, years later, when I started doing my own talks, um, people would say to me, why do you do it? You know, why do you, you take off work sometimes you go and you, you know, you're, you're not getting paid for it. You know, why do you do it? And obviously I have the first answer, which is, you know, I like to give back, right? That's, that's nice. Okay. Yeah. And you go a little deeper, go a little deeper, you know, well, I think it's because if I'm being honest, it's because I didn't go to college and I feel like when I go and I give these talks, I I get to keep a little bit of like my craft. So it's almost like, you, you know, what you, you, what you get to, to give away is what you keep, you know, yes. you want to keep it, give it away. So that's also good. But you know what the real reason is the real reason why I do it. Why? Because nobody did it for me. There you go. That's why. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so like nobody did it for me. So I'm going to break that cycle. So I go out to the, you know, and I, and my first time I've ever done, but first time I ever did it, was in Rhonda Botel's class. She asked me to come back. I was working at the morning call at the time. I was probably only five years into my graphic design copy and layout job. Mm -hmm. And I went back to the class and it was a disaster. I was, my voice cracked. I was all over the place. I had no structure. It was, yeah. I thought, I, I thought that they'll never have me back. Right. And I got back to my, to my desk. And I think this was at a time when email was, was just kind of probably 96. And she said, the students loved you. When are you coming back to do it again? So that gave me the confidence to want to try it again. Because if I just went off of that first time, I would have never done it again. Yeah. So, like, so when I went back, I took bottled water. I took index cards. I had a little <laughs> structure. Right. And I did it again. And it got, and it was a lot better. But now, I mean, I love it now. So like, yeah. I, you know, to, to be able to have, you know, all the colleges and universities in this area, I started now doing some down in, uh, in Philly at St. Joe's to the marketing. Oh, cool. I love it. You know, I, I love talking about it. And if you would have told me when I was in Votech that one day I'd get to be a creative director, first of all, I, I wouldn't even know what, I would not have known what that was. What that is. What yeah. does that mean? What do they do? Who is that? Mm -hmm. Where do you go for that? Like, and, and, and it's, I love it. You know, it's, it's, it's who I am because when you, when you're a good creative director knows that they're not the one that has to come up with all the ideas. They just right. have to provide the environment to allow others to create the ideas. Exactly. I'm responsible for, you know, the end result. Oh yeah. I, you know, that's what I, that's what I love about it. Cause it is like a form of teaching. 
You know, it's yeah. a form of teaching. It's, a, it's definitely, a, you know, so yeah, interesting. So, okay. So cool. teaching, then you get to New York City. Mm -hmm. Now what, now what is Crystal doing in New York City? So I came back here in 1992, I think it was, 92. Okay. And uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I was DJing full time pretty much and okay. doing some freelance graphic design here and there. But this is, you know, the olden days <laughs> where I gigged like three, four nights a week, got paid in cash. The rent was cheap and, mm -hmm. uh, and had a great time and it was awesome. And then I got into the subbing. So I started substitute teaching in 94, I think. Like I went through the rigmarole, you know, showing my transcripts, all that crap, mm -hmm. and then started subbing. So I was living in Park Slope, Brooklyn at the time. And those were the days where there was no computer system putting you in entering or whatever. It was like, mm -hmm. you want to be a sub? You have to go to that school, tell the school secretary, you know, give your file number so they can look you up right. and then they'll right. call you if they need you. Mm -hmm. So I was five blocks away from the premier elementary school in Park Slope 321. And then I was also two blocks from another school that was a little bit uh, north of me. And it was literally night and day. So 321, it was all upper middle class, rich and wealthy white folks who sent their kids there. They had trailers in the back for extracurricular stuff. Okay. The pre-K and K didn't have gym. They had body movement class, like shit like that. Yeah. And then the other school I taught at, which had a black female principal who had been there since 1929 <laughs> when the building was first built. And it was black and Hispanic and Latino kids. And it was literally like walking back in time, you know, peeling paint, water fountains didn't oh, wow. work. Books were 30 years old, blah, blah, blah. I, it was crazy. And they're five minutes from each other, you know? So that was when I saw, decided I'm going to work with kids who are in disparity who need to see somebody like me mm -hmm. as a successful artist, no matter what I'm doing. And I love, you know, telling people what to do. So, <laughs> so that's how it started. And okay. um, right. I worked at a couple of elementary schools, realized that was not my steez middle school. Fuck. No, it's just too much hormone hell. Okay. And then high school, I was good. So I subbed at all these things for years and made really good money subbing and DJing. And all these schools would call me every single day because they love me because I would bring in my own art lessons in a bag, you know, if you're sure. depending on what the class was and if the teacher wasn't prepped, I was like, I can keep these kids quiet and occupied. And the kids would go home and tell their parents about me. Okay. And the principal called me in one day and he was like, what are you doing that parents are calling me telling me that you're amazing? And I was like, I don't know, I'm amazing. So I was subbing, 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 bartending, DJing full-time. And then one day, uh, a, one of my best friends who I'm in the scooter gang with, Vespa gang, she called me up. She's a music teacher. She called me up and said, one of the schools in my building, they just fired the art teacher. You got to get down here and get this job. And I'm in my pajamas eating cereal at 11 mm -hmm. in the morning, like what? And uh, so I went down there and met with the principal interviewed four times and then she offered me the gig okay. and then I had to go downtown do all the paperwork bullshit and I started working there and I was there for four years straight and then she got fired because that's a whole other mess and then I went to another school okay. and that was even worse than where I was it looked really good but it wound up being really terrible and then I started to get an ulcer and then I freelanced at another friend's school. Uh, I came in as a consultant, an arts consultant for this new teaching methodology. And that is when the ulcer really kicked in. And I, I was there from September until April and then I quit. And then I did not go back to teaching. Okay. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Okay. And well, how um, long did you teach then altogether? All, all the number of years? Oh, it's been over 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh man, that's a whole career. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it wasn't full time, but right, like right. full time was five, but 20 years of, you know, five years old to 21 years old. Sure. Because here in New York City, if you don't graduate by the time you're 18 and if you don't sign yourself out of high school, 
you don't get kicked out until you're 21. Okay. Which is a whole other horrible. Let me ask you this. Where do you get your drive from? My parents who taught me, you just have to stay on your grind. You know, you have to bust your ass, especially in this, you know, racist country that we're in. I remember my father telling me when I was like seven or eight, he said, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to work twice as hard to prove that you're twice as better than everybody else because you're coming in at a deficit. And my, my mom used to say, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are radiators and there are drains. You need to figure out which one you are and who you're going to be friends with. And then my father said, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are hammers and there are nails. And you need to figure out which one you are and who you're going to do business with. And that has stuck with me, That's which is why my own little production thing is called Radiating Hammer. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it, it works for every aspect of your life, not just your job. It's your friends, the people you choose to communicate with, the people you choose to surround yourself with you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, and every relationship. It's really, really important. Well, let me ask you this then. What advice would you give someone, say, coming out of college now, um, kind of uncertain where to go, you know, in terms of their, not, not necessarily the career, but, you know, I know there's a lot of people that come out and, and, and want to like leave the area that, they, that they, they're living in or that they lived in their whole life. Um, yeah. What, what would your advice to be, would be to someone who, you know, might think, you know what, I, I think I want to go to New York. I want to try, you know, like, what, what would your advice be? Well, what I told my high school kids all the time was get the fuck out of New York. And I don't mean go back to where you, where you parents are from, because they're either first generation or immigrants. <clears throat> like, don't go back to PR or DR or the mm-hmm. Caribbean or Trini or wherever you're from. Get out of New York and see the United States. And I mean, beyond the Poconos, and New Jersey and Connecticut, go West, go to the Midwest, go South, you know, something, and definitely go to Europe, get the hell out of here and go see other cultures and what that's like. Because on a Saturday, I would volunteer my time. I was six days a week at that school uh, in Bushwick. And I, on Saturdays, on Fridays, I would pick five kids to take with me to go gallery hopping on a Saturday. And these are kids who, it's a, it's a saying here, when you, are, when you hang tough in one borough, it's a planet. So these are planet Brooklyn kids who never ever came into Manhattan. I taught kids who did not know that 9-11 happened in downtown Manhattan. And I'm not kidding about that because that's just how steeped they are in Brooklyn or Queens mm-hmm. or Staten Island or whatever. And I remember the first time I took a bunch of kids and this girl was scared to death. I was like, get on the L train, take it to third Avenue. I'll meet you on the corner, you know, no big whoop. And she was scared to death. She was like, what, why are these people talking funny? What are these languages they're speaking? There's so many white people, what's going on? (laughs) She grew up in the PJs, you know, lived in her neighborhood, never left it to only to go to school like three subway stops away from her neighborhood. So I tell people, get the hell out of wherever you're at. Go see as much as you possibly can while you're young. Do not get married. (laughs) Do not have children until you're in your 30s, late 20s, early 30s. I prefer you to not have kids. But if you're insisting on having children, live a life first and then have kids because that way you will be a better parent. Because after teaching for decades, you know, 15-year-old kids having custody battles, 21-year-old high school seniors with five kids, like, please get away from that. Right, right. So, um, and also I would tell the kids, I mean, college graduates is kind of too late, but figure out what you love to do and then figure out how to make money from it. Because that way you'll never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. And the working that you're doing is something that you love and enjoy and won't be resentful, won't be mad, won't be pissed because you're slogging through to survive. Right, right. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Would the eight-year-old version of you be happy with who you are? 
eight-year-old version of me. Um, yeah, I think she would. I think she would be because at eight years old, I knew what I wanted to do. And I've always been very goal oriented. I got that from my father. Um, but then from my mother, I also learned, well, if it doesn't work out, do something else, you know, or everything happens for a reason and when it's supposed to happen. I'm not religious in any way, shape or form. I do not, I do not get down with any organized religions, but I am a person who believes in, um, in karma because I've seen it in action right in front of my face. And I do believe that there, that we all operate on energy and frequencies. And I think that that's not too crazy or hippy dippy mm -hmm. because people know, you know, you've got your inner spidey senses. When you meet somebody, you get a vibe off of them, whether they're 100%. good or nice or an asshole. Yep. And it's just heightening that in your brain to get it well honed. And um, yeah, I mean, there are tons of things that I wanted to do and didn't do it, but it didn't stop me from continuing on or doing something else. And my father was always kind of mad at me because, you know, you need to get a job and work at it for 50 years and get a gold watch when you retire, like that kind of thing. And even in the eighties, it was like, that shit is not how it works now. And it's definitely not how it works now. So I am glad that I am, I call myself today's black Renaissance woman. I'm very well-rounded because I have explored and tried as many things as I've wanted to do um, in bringing it in with my artistic ability. You know, it's like right. not, it's more than just going to a museum and being inspired by somebody's artwork you've never seen or whatever. I love John Singer Sargent, but I'm not an oil painter, but from what he has done with his work, I've incorporated that in my own stuff. Yeah, but I think the, list that, stuff, the list of things that you are involved in. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of stuff. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. I mean, it is, uh, you know, <laughs> Printmaker, screen printer, musician, singer, art teacher, columnist, uh, sound designer, um, and then this the these this professional muse at the art uh, the art students league. Yes, which, you know we have people sculpting you, like creating sculptures of you. I have people who are painting I mean, me. <laughs> that's good, right? That's amazing. That's I amazing. Like that one. It's yeah, really I want you to send me those because I want to I want to show some of those. Talk to me about how. What, what is that like for sitting for these paintings? I mean, how long is it, how long do you have to do it? How did you get it? Um, well, it's a job that as an artist and art instructor, I have worked with live models before, obviously, because that's a part of your training when you go to art school. And um, it's a job that I never ever thought about having. I never aspired to it. I didn't want it. I didn't, no, nothing. Right. So I found myself six years ago at a particular place in my life where I was in a relationship with a man who I thought was the one. And then he broke my heart in 17 places and I was devastated. And I was managing a bar in Greenpoint. It took me forever to fucking get there, managed by, owned by this lunatic who um, didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And I resurrected that bar. And this chick who was stealing from him accused me of stealing from him. And then I quit. And so I'm just kind of like, I'm bartending and I'm just, I'm miserable and I'm sad. I don't know what's going on. So one of my best friends calls me up one day and she says, hey, um, I have an audition tomorrow. Can you come meet me and run some sides with me? Sure, I'll take you to lunch, even better. Uh, oh, but I just got a new job. I'm the model booker at the Art Students League. And I said, oh, okay, that's cool. She said, well, meet me down here and I'll show you around, tell you what I'm doing, and then I'll take you to lunch and we can do this. Okay. So she gives me the address because the name wasn't ringing a bell immediately. She gave me the address and I looked at it and I thought, this seems kind of familiar. So I then I remembered when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I would spend half of my summers in Philly and half of them here in New York because I, have a, I had an uncle who lived here. So I, like, I was here for Summer of Sam and all that shit. Um, <clears throat> so he was like, this was in the South Bronx where he was living. He's like, there's some art school downtown. You can go for free. Blah. And I did. And it was the Art Students League. Okay. So I show up there. She shows me around. 
we're sitting down talking and then she says, okay, I gotta go to the bathroom and then we'll go. Um, so here, uh, fill this out, sign this, do that. You gotta do your own taxes, blah, blah, blah. And I looked at her and I said, what are you, what are you talking about? What is this? And she says, well, I need models. So fill this out, sign here, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. And I said, what? What are you talking about? Well, I had these models, got jobs on Broadway, da, 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 da. I need bodies. So <laughs> fill this out. And I said, are you out of your fucking mind? Do you really think that at 50 years old, I just turned 50. You think mm -hmm. at 50 years old, I'm going to pose nude in front of people? <laughs> you are crazy and then she said crystal just fucking fill out the paperwork i'm going to the bathroom it better be filled out when i get back and then we're going and she walked away and i just sat there thinking what what is she talking about and then i thought well this is why i live in new york and i'm going to get some good stories about from this so i filled out the paperwork and then the next day I applied for a job uh, after school arts program and I got the job. So then she calls me up that evening. Hey, <clears throat> I need you to come in tomorrow night for open sketch class. So open sketch means that there's no instructor there and the class is only 90 minutes long. It's always figure, figure means no clothing. Okay. And it's short poses, so it'll be uh, you know, one minute poses, two minute poses, five minutes, 10 minutes, and then it builds to one 20 minute pose at the end. Wow. So the standard etiquette is when you're in a class, no matter how long it is, 90 minutes or three and a half hours, it's 20 minutes on five minutes off, 20 minutes on five minutes off. And then the three and a half hour class, they'll have a long 20 minute break in between. So I'm not sitting rock solid for three and a half hours straight, but it's a three and a half hour class. So she tells me this and I was like, okay, short poses. I know what this means. So I got two hula hoops, a child size hula hoop, adult size hula hoop, two mop handles, a piece of fabric to wrap around me. I got an elastic band and, um, oh, and like a little playground ball. So I worked out this whole routine in my head, what I was gonna do, you know, yeah. tent, whatever. And I bring all this stuff, explain what's going on. She's like, this is great. They're gonna love you. So I'm standing there waiting for the class to start. I have everything set up on the model stand and I'm standing there holding this fabric because that's gonna be my first pose. And I'm talking to the monitor and because I was brand new, when you're a new model and word gets out, then everybody comes running. So it's like fresh meat this year, you know? Mm -hmm. So I wound up having like 45 people in this class where the limit is really like 25. Okay. And there's a minute to go and I'm talking to the monitor and then I see this guy walk in in my periphery and I turn around and look and it was the guy who interviewed me for the job the day before. So I was like, oh, well, this is going to be interesting. So he walks up to the monitor, gives him, gives her his ticket. And then he looks, he goes like, oh, who's the model? <laughs> and I look down because the model stand is two feet off the ground. And I look down and I said, hey, and he goes, what are you doing here? And I said, um, I'm a model here. What are you doing here? Oh, well, I've been taking classes here since I was a kid. I said, oh, okay, that's cool. 30 seconds left. And he's just, you know, staring at me and everybody's coming in and buzz, buzz, buzz. Mm -hmm. So to break the ice, I said, um, you know, this is going to be really interesting. And he said, why? And I said, well, you're going to be the first man ever to have the benefit of seeing me nude, but without the pleasure of having sex with me. <laughs> and the whole class cracked up laughing and then beep, beep, beep. And then I went into my first pose and that's how I got started. And then there was a woman in that class who was like, oh my God, you're so great. You have to pose for Sharon Sprung's class. And I don't know what a Sharon Sprung is, but okay. Mm -hmm. Tell her to tell the model coordinator. And then I wound up posing for her. That was my first long pose. It was three weeks, Monday through Friday, three and a half hours every day. It's got to be and, crazy, though, when, like, you go and see, the, like, these exhibits. When you go see, oh, there's me, there's me. Oh, that's me. Oh, that one's me. Yeah. There's me. Mm -hmm. With the guitar, there's that. Like, is that, yeah. how does that feel? That's got to feel, like, kind of odd, right? It's, it's odd, and it's interesting. And I'm coming in with a very specific perspective of being an artist and being an art educator. So I'm sitting in this class 
while the instructor is talking about shit that I've taught, mm-hmm. right? And the majority of the students there at the league are senior citizens because who do you know who could take two painting classes a day, Monday through Friday for three and a half hours at a clip for 300 bucks each class? Nobody except people who are retired, right? Because they've got the money and they have the time. There are young people there, but it's 10 to 15% under 30, you know? But there are students literally there, the average is 65 to literally 100 years old. So then it's like, I'm black, they're all white. In my six years there, I've seen five black students. That's it. And only two of them were women. Um, There have only been three black instructors in the six years that I've been there. So the gaze is very interesting while I'm sitting there. And I've encountered students who were mad because I was there because they didn't want to paint me because I was black. Mm. Um, People who would purposefully do something ugly to make me feel bad or I'm just all kinds of shit Some every of stuff opinion. though is pretty incredible some of the a work. lot of it is really amazing yeah and I am this is a job that I never like I said I never thought about I didn't know that I had the aptitude for it or the talent for it because it's a lot to be sitting still and my breathing is so shallow that one time they put a mirror under my nose because I thought I had died in a sketch class. <laughs> and I'm just basically like sitting and staring at a scratch on the wall across the room, hardly swallowing, hardly blinking. And now I can hallucinate on command within like two wow. minutes of staring. I can start, colors start coming and I hallucinate. And, um, you know, throw me in a box full of spiders, whatever, I can handle it. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I can slow my heart rate down on command now. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty it's pretty weird. But it's it's fascinating. So that's why I'm I've been writing all my stories and I'm turning it I'm going to turn it into a TV show. Cuz I think it'll make a perfect television show. Cuz in theory, everybody on planet Earth has seen a portrait, whether it's Mona Lisa or somebody mm-hmm. on their money or whatever. But who's when is the last time you thought about who posed for that painting? Right. And how right. long they had to sit there? And was it cold? And then you look at paintings like way back where they were doing it by candlelight in some damp castle in Ireland, mm-hmm. some fucking where, yep. you know, could they eat? Could they go to the bathroom? A majority of the models were women, you know? I've, and there's nothing crazier than sitting and staring and seeing guys like get all sexually excited, which they're not supposed to be doing because they're supposed to be a very specific artist's gaze. And you're supposed to be thankful that you're privileged enough to have a live model sitting in front of you. And after me holding a pose for three and a half hours with no clothes on, then you're gonna hit on me after the class is over? Mm, Sorry, not today, Satan. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. So what are some of the things that, you know, like, do you just let your mind go blank or are you thinking about, or is it, is it almost like a form of meditation or do it's, you have to focus? You have to it's focus meditator. On, you have to hold the pose. It's meditative. I have to hold the pose. I can't sleep. I can't just close my eyes and sit there unless right. that is the pose. Yeah. And um, it, it takes very specific talent to live your life and come in there and change your clothes Mm -hmm. or, you know, wear whatever it is that you're doing for the pose. And then you have to hit that pose exactly the same place every single time. And not just every day, but several times during that class, because you get up and take a break and you, and you have to remember where you're staring, whatever. So it, um, it takes a lot of talent and skill. So in the beginning, my first long pose all I did was rerun my relationship in my head because that was what was happening at the time and just working through it because I couldn't afford to see my shrink. And then once I worked all that stuff out of my system, then it became a meditative focus. That's awesome. So that's how I can hallucinate and, and slow down my heart rate. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you, how did you end up becoming on this? On the, what is it? A, is it a city bike ad? Like you were on a oh, city that- bike ad. Yeah. Um, yeah. So once I started this uh, professional muse deal, um, one of the girls who works there is this total kookaboo. And she was like, oh, you know, you gotta send your, uh, you gotta send pictures out to talent agents and photographers. Nah, 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 nah. 
which I had already been doing. I've been right, posing true. for photographers since I was a kid. Right, I right. was in several Rodale Press uh, books as a child. Um, That's where your but, mom worked, uh, right? Didn't your mom work there? No, she didn't work there. Um, oh. Rodale Press. There was an, a photographer there. His first name was Frank. I can't remember his last name. I want to say Little. But he was the only Black photographer that they had. Mm. And he was like the de facto person in charge of diversity, even though it was in the, like 1970-whatever, and that word didn't exist. Mm-hmm. and so when he got assignments he would always bring us in so I'll find the picture because I, I think it's on my Facebook there's a picture of my sister and I eating these like homemade carob popsicles which were tasted like dirt we're supposed to be like yeah I'm just like, mm-hmm. I think I remember seeing that yeah yeah and then there's a book about riding bikes or being mm-hmm. outside and my mother and my sister are on the cover of that book oh wow yeah wow. so I, I have friends who are actors and actresses and I got names of places and I just sent my name out and emailed places. And then this one woman, this agent called me up and she says, Hey, I've got this thing for a city bike ad. Um, it's a lot of money up front. You don't get any resids, blah, blah, blah. And I said, sure. Um, and she told me that it was going to be in a studio because I was very specific. I said, what do you want me to wear? You know, how long is it yeah. going to be? What am I going to be doing? Am I going to be working with other people? You know, blah, blah, blah. And she says, oh, it's in the studio. You're just going to be posing with the bike. Don't worry about it. But, you know, wear something that is, you know, funky chic, because I love your look, but something that you could ride a bike in. And I was like, right. okay, jeans and a t-shirt and a leather jacket or whatever. So I sh- they send me the address. And it turned out to be a city bike um, repair shop and hub where they would take the bikes to get maintained and sure. rotate them in and out. Okay. And it was down underneath um, in Dumbo and on the Manhattan side. And so I get there and I'm like, where's the studio part? And it was just <laughs> trailers. So I'm looking for the point person. Oh, hey, yeah, hi, I'm Steve. Oh yeah, it's great. And I'm looking around and I don't see a studio and I don't see a photographer and I don't see lights. I don't see a green screen. I don't see shit. And so then I said, so what's the deal? And he goes, oh, so, you know, pick a bike, raise the seat as high as you need it. We're going to be leaving in 15 minutes. And I said, leaving for where? A studio? And he goes, no, they're going to be shooting while you're riding. And I was just like. The ad came out great. I saw the photo. It came out great. And we rode from seven in the morning until seven at night. Oh, my God. I couldn't. I could barely walk. I mean, when was the last time I was on a bicycle? 30 years before that? You really need that long to get one, like a couple, really? It was crazy. There were there were eight of us models. Oh, okay. I, w- I was the only black woman. There was a young black guy. There were Asians, Latinos, yeah. Hispanics, white. It was, you know, Benetton ad. And so the photographer sat on the back of a bike and was shooting and then had an assistant riding a bike next to him, adjacent. And then, you know, a dude riding the photographer around. So we're riding down the street and he's in front of us taking all yeah, these shots. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. And that was that photo. Yeah. <laughs> that was literally 15 minutes into the day. And the reason, other reason why it took so long is because it was an, it's an e-bike. So it's the kind that gives you a little... If you're going uphill, it kicks yeah. in. And yeah. so not only did we have to ride for 800 hours, we had to go every place where there was a hill. So it's like, oh, ride all the way to the east side and take those fucking hill bridge things that go to the river. And oh, my God. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah, I was crippled. I couldn't walk. It was nuts, but it was Weird. fun. And I didn't, you know, we got we shot it. They gave us a check. And then I said, well, when what's the deal with this? When is it going to be used? Because this was a December when we shot it. And it was one of these weird days where it was like 57 degrees, but it was chilly and it was drizzly, but it was hot and it was whatever. And uh, they said, oh, I think they're going to be used for the springtime because the light was good and nobody would know that it's winter. So, you know, I don't know. We'll keep an eye out and let you know. And then I forgot about it and nobody ever said anything. And then six months later, five months later, a friend of mine calls me up or I get a text message and it's me on a bus shelter. And my <laughs> friend's like, oh my God, what the, 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 and then bing, 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 bing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, yeah. 
and I was on buses. I was on <laughs> bus shelters and some uh, some paper stuff. Yeah. So we're getting close to the hour. So um, I would be remiss if I didn't have you tell the story of the time we went to New York City in yeah. high school. Yeah. I know you love telling the story. It's a great um, story. This this is a story where um, kind of a Seinfeld moment before Seinfeld. Very very Seinfeld. Okay. Lots of orange juice. So so don't hold yeah. back on this. Feel free to you know. Oh man, it was so great. All right. So go ahead, so, tell this story. So we came up here on a field trip. <laughs> I don't even remember. Like, were we here to go to the Met or something? I have no idea. I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> I remember Anyhow, we, we, we get up here. City. Yeah, we get up here and it's you and me. And I think maybe Tommy was with us. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> maybe even Jeff Oswald. I don't and know. And Jeff. Yeah, it was a handful of us sitting yeah. together and we were in this diner. And well, first of all, it was painfully obvious that you had never been to New York before or anybody else except me. And mm -hmm. so it was all of you getting acclimated to the city and the energy here and people bumping into you while we're walking down the sidewalk and all the lunatics and the weirdos and the drug addicts and the hookers and everything. It was, like, it was, a like, scene out of the, it was like a scene out of the deuce. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And so you guys were freaking the fuck out and I'm laughing my ass off because I just thought it was hysterical. Like these poor white boys who've never been in the city before. This is so funny. So we get into this diner and we we had to pay for our own food was that yeah. it mm -hmm. yeah that's why you were so intense so we're ordering and you were gobsmacked at the menu you could not believe <laughs> the prices of everything <laughs> and the hill you chose to die on was screaming about a eight ounce glass of orange juice yep. <laughs> because yeah, because you were like, $3, it's just fucking orange juice. Da, 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 da. And you, if you could have had a Norma Ray moment, you would have made a sign <laughs> and protested. And I'm like, will you just shut up? Then don't get the fucking orange juice. Get something else. Get a soda. It's $1.50. I mean, you were livid, livid. And you remember but, there's another part of that story. I, I was I was also upset that I couldn't eat a sandwich that I brought into the diner and didn't oh, yes. buy there. That's right. The guy literally came over and was like, "What are you doing? Doing? I'm, like, I'm eating my sandwich. You can't eat that here." I'm like, yeah. "It's my sandwich." Like that's the Costanza. Like I was yes. like, like, "Like that's a that's a Seinfeld moment." It I was is. like, "This is my sandwich." Yeah, but this is my restaurant. Restaurant. You don't bring here. food into a restaurant. You I don't. Yeah. You, you couldn't, couldn't fathom that. And that with the $3 orange juice, which now would be like a, probably an $18 orange juice. <laughs> no, they're still around $3. Oh, okay. But you get more. You actually get like a Collins glass filled. But um, well, I'll tell you what, I did. I made a conscious effort to, as my daughters were getting older and growing up, I didn't want to wait for them to be 17 until they went to the city for the first time. So we would go up there randomly just when they were like young. We would just go up for the day because I, I didn't want them. I wanted them to get... Uh, a different experience than what I had. I, I went oh, yeah. It was a little culture shock when it, you know, when you wait until you're 17 to go to the New York City for the first time. Yeah. So that's when we would go up there and we would just hang out for the day. We just walk around. We didn't have a plan. We would just hang yeah. out, just move, you know, get in a cab, go here, go there, you know, and, and just they loved it. They always, they yeah. always like, when are we going to New York again? Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. That's very important. So, Crystal, I got to say, you know, first of all, thank you for doing this. Thank you for thank you for having me, Adyak, and talking to me. Your your life has is a work of art. You, that's all the the only thing I could think of is that you <laughs> you did it, man. I'm so proud of you, and and happy that that I know you and got to know you and and just watch you just get to do your stuff. I mean, you're thank you. You're amazing. You're just really thank amazing. you. And the fact thank that you we very sat much. next to each other at Votech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shared our love of, well, my love of Popeye. Um, yes. I asked you the one time I said, Hey, why did you call me Klondike? I said, I never understood what. And then you said, Childs, do you not remember how you came in railing the one day when there was a commercial about what would you do for a Klondike, for a Klondike bar? bar. Yeah. And I said, I wouldn't do anything for one because it's just ice cream. And then you, that became my nickname. Yes. 
Klondike. Yes, exactly. Klondike. Yeah. You are so incensed <laughs> at such a young age to be so put out by these certain things. Very Costanza. Yes. yes very, I'm very Costanza. Uh, yes. I know Larry David was the uh, gen, uh, the inspiration for, for Costanza, yeah. but I think I, I think I was, I understood that. You and were your own funny. Larry David. What's funny is years later, people would, after Seinfeld came out, they would say to me, you're like George Costanza. Yeah. And I would be like, yeah, I know. I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. So, this this is a really great thing because I am kind I'm not kinda. <clears throat> I am the odd person out quite often when I talk about friends that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people that you went to high school with too, they're like, I'm out of here, fuck everybody, and don't go to reunions, don't keep in touch. And my experiences were just so fantastic. And the shit that I went through growing up in Allentown, being the only black person where we were and all this. So I treasure my friendships, people who were willing to look past my skin color and treat me as a regular person. I treasure that. And that's, mm -hmm. this is very important to me to do because it's like, yeah, there's a lot of shit, but this also exists and it's a really fantastic thing. And I'm very, <laughs> happy and proud of you too that you figured out what you wanted to do and sorted it out and here you are you know you, you go from copy and paste class. up to this you kept me sane you know even though i was yeah. insane i think you helped keep me more like from going even more insane over you know stupid yeah. things like klondike bars and pop well this is this is why i'm a good educator because i can wrangle mental patients animals and small children i'm very good at those things i feel like i hit two of those yeah i can talk people down very well it's a talent. Yeah. <laughs> Crystal, thank you again. Really. Thank you for it. having me. I really Be appreciate well. it. Um, keep doing your thing. You're, you're amazing. You're rocking. Um, yeah. Listen to the podcast. Wait for the TV show. It's going to happen. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Thanks again. Be well. Okay. Thank you. All right. Ad yakers. Hope you enjoyed it because we have many more great conversations planned and guests lined up, ready to yak it up. Adyak is sponsored and produced by ASR Media. Theme song was written and performed by Dan Ross. Location recording was at JT Norman's Design Studio. Adyak is the official podcast of the AAF Greater Lehigh Valley Ad Club. Stay hungry, stay humble. Till next time. This episode of Adyak is rated O for, oh man, that was good. <laughs>